where am I? The bit of despair. Don't even think. Don't even think about trying to escape. Chains are far too thick. And don't dream of being rescued either. The only way in is secret. Only the Prince of the Count and I know how to get in and out. Then I'm here till I die? Till I kill you. Yeah. Have you ever been there? We come to a place like this. We sing songs like this. But I wonder if for some of us, we feel a little bit like poor Wesley there. Chained down. All alone. In the pit of despair. Anytime in my life when I found myself in a place like that, I have to be honest with you. I haven't felt much like singing. Sometimes you just don't feel like singing. People may tell you, oh, just just put on a smile. Just let it go. Just join in the song. But it's just not that easy, is it? I mean, we still go to church and we still go to class. And we even come to chapel. But sometimes we just can't seem to find our way out of the pit. It can be kind of isolating, especially in a place like this. I mean, we understand, right, how those without Jesus might struggle to find joy, how they might find themselves in despair. I mean, I can see how after a time, those without the hope of Christ would feel the weight and the burden of their sin and selfishness bearing down upon them. I get that. But what about those of us who have been redeemed, who have experienced the hope of Jesus? How is it possible that we who have had such life breathed into us can still struggle I mean, it seems like just yesterday we were emerging out of the baptistry singing, I have decided to follow Jesus. So why today do we struggle just to find our voice? You know, I'm not sure I have the answer for you. But I can tell you this. If you are in despair, you're not the first. I think first of the Israelites coming out of Egypt. There they were with a wall of water on their right and a wall of water on their left and dry ground beneath their feet. They stood there on the edge of the shore and literally watched with their eyes as God brought them salvation. And they sang and they danced and they played there on the shore. Exodus chapter 15, the song of Moses and Miriam. They celebrated God's victory. But then they turned and they walked into the desert. And the next day passed. And the next day and the next day. And they started to get thirsty. If there's anything you need in the desert, it's water. And they didn't have any. And the people found that their song was turning into despair. Finally, they arrived at some water and they were overjoyed. Only to find, as the text says, it was bitter. Probably it means it tasted terrible and was unfit for them to drink. Can you imagine their frustration? We were dying of thirst and then we found water. 
and now we can't drink it. And the text says they grumbled against Moses. And the chapter that began with a song ends with despair. Perhaps you've been there. Perhaps for some of you, your despair has come at you from your external circumstances. Maybe it's because, well, things just didn't turn out like you expected they would. Or you experienced some level of deep disappointment. You had hoped that that guy or girl would be the one. You were longing just to hear those words from your dad. You were trusting that this job... This job would fill that void you felt. You just wanted those words of affirmation from that that person you respected. And when reality did not line up with your expectations, you find yourself in the pit. And so to to come to a place like this and to sing songs like this, well, sometimes we just don't feel like singing. I think of the Jews in Jerusalem in about 600 B.C. There they were in the long-awaited, hard-fought, divinely protected Zion. I mean, for centuries, people had tried to take this city, but God had protected them. I can imagine the songs that they used to sing in those days. I think Psalm 46 probably would have been a pretty popular one in that time. It says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy habitation of the Most High, God, is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The God of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I mean, I can imagine they busted out their lyres and their cymbals and their tambourines and their harps. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. But it did not last. Because the Babylonians came and they broke through those walls. And they carried off the Jews into exile. They tore down the temple and they burned the city to its foundations. And the farther those people walked into exile with their harps on their shoulders and reality settling into their hearts, I think they knew there is no going back. And so there by the waters of Babylon, they sat down. The harps that they had used to strum the praises of God only months before, they hang up on the trees. And their captors begin to demand of them, hey, sing for us. Go ahead, sing. You know what? Hey, sing us one of those, uh, those songs of Zion. Let's hear it. And the writer of Psalm 137 says, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? And the music of Zion falls silent. Perhaps that's like you this morning. Your despair doesn't necessarily come from external circumstances, but from a deep, deep loss. Maybe it was the death of someone very close to you, something someone your age should never have to experience. 
Or maybe it wasn't from death. Maybe it was just from some terrible or tragic news. And ever since the phone call, ever since the accident, ever since the day of the diagnosis, you've experienced pain and suffering on a level you never thought possible. Or perhaps for others of you, your despair comes at you like the people of Israel as a result of your own sin. You knew what God asked you to do. And you ignored it. And now as the weight of the consequences of sin begin to bear down upon your shoulders, it seems almost too much. And to come into a place like this and to hear these songs, well, sometimes you just don't feel like singing. I think of Jesus on the last night of his life. Here he has, he has mostly fulfilled the ministry that God has given him to do. He has preached good news to those who dwell in darkness. He has healed many people. He raised up 12 disciples. He'd trained them, led them through the school of obedience. And there, on the last night of his life, he washes their feet. They eat together. And then Matthew 26 says, they sing hymns. Probably the end of the Hallel Psalms. The end of Psalm 118, the conclusion to those, says this. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God. I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. But they finish singing, and they leave Jerusalem, and they cross the Kidron, and they go up the Mount of Olives into a garden. And Jesus spends the night in prayer. His sorrow is heavy, he says, even to the point of death. If that's not despair, I don't know what is. And he asks his friends, just stay awake and pray with me. And they all fall asleep. He knows what's coming. He's read the scriptures. He knows the suffering that the servant will have to undergo. And yet he pleads with God to take this cup from him. There, at night, alone in the garden, there is no companionship. There is no meal with friends. There is no more singing. And perhaps for some of you, That's how despair comes at you. It's not so much from your external circumstances or from the tragic loss or from your own sin. Your despair comes from grappling with the cost of obedience to God. He has asked you to do something. He has put you somewhere and it is just hard. It's hard to be separated from friends and family. It's hard to experience the death of your dreams. It's hard to live in a place where you don't know anyone, to have no friends that you can talk to. And so for some of you, this is the despair of what it means to obey God. And so we come here And they play songs, but sometimes you just don't feel like singing. I think this may have been a little bit like John, the apostle. I imagine there at the end of his life, 
exiled, alone, on the island of Patmos. The last, probably, of his closest friends still living. I imagine he must have spent much of his time wondering about those fledgling churches that he has left behind. And yet, as he prays on the Lord's day, God, in the person of Jesus, appears to him. And even then, the message that Jesus delivers only reminds him of the severity of his situation. I mean, these letters to the seven churches remind John of the waning love in Ephesus, the suffering in Smyrna, the false teaching in Pergamum, the seductions in Thyatira. The dead faith in Sardis, the pressures in Philadelphia, the apathy in Laodicea. I mean, how in the world, after a reality like that, can you possibly, can you possibly choose to sing? I mean, how in the world can we follow up Revelation chapters 1 through 3 with Revelation chapters 4 and 5? Chapters that contain little else but song after song after song. Well, I wonder if the reality is what Shane said last week. Maybe we have a listening problem. And so perhaps today, in the midst of our despair, we could just listen. Sometimes, listening is the best path to hope. You know, there was a movie that came out uh, several years ago now uh, called Life is Beautiful. And it's a story of a, of a man named Guido in his sometimes hilarious uh, quest to win over his woman, Dora, the princess, he calls her. There's this one scene in the movie where uh, early on where uh, Dora and Guido end up at the opera together, uh, yet they're in different sections of the theater. She's actually there with her fiancé. He doesn't love her. She doesn't love him. Uh, but Guido, we see him in the theater trying to get her attention. And as on stage the, the song Baccarole is playing, we watch as Guido tries to communicate his love for this woman. That scene sort of becomes the foundation for their relationship. He ends up winning her heart. And this song, Baccarole, kind of becomes the theme of their marriage. They have a boy. And the film trails several years later their tragic story as they are captured and placed into a Nazi concentration camp. Guido and the boy serve as waiters for the generals in one section of the camp. But Dora, she is with all of the women. She works day in and day out without ever seeing the one that she loves. And as time goes on, she falls deeper and deeper into despair. But one night, Guido, as he's finishing up his job, notices a record. It's Baccarole, their song. And watch what happens. Thank you. 
Listen to me. I don't know where you're at this morning, but if you find yourself in despair, don't check out. Bring your despair with you. Because the Apostle John has something that he wants you to hear. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, says that I heard a voice, probably of the Son of Man, of Revelation chapter 1. And it says, come up and I will show you what must take place after this. And immediately we're in the throne room of God. And in the verses that follow, I think there's probably more questions introduced than there are answers. I mean, we could spend weeks unpacking the imagery of these texts. But for now, we'll just say that John has to do what many biblical writers have tried to do before him. And that is to describe God in human language. He practically stretches language to the breaking point. I mean, if you notice, very rarely does John actually tell us exactly what he saw. Instead, he simply tells us what it was like. Because when you attempt to describe an indescribable God, all you can do is resort to similes and metaphors. And so, John says, I saw a throne and the one who was seated there had the appearance of beautiful jasper and carnelian and there was a there was a rainbow like emerald all around the throne and surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and the ones who sat there were wearing white and had golden crowns on their heads and then like mount sinai in exodus chapter 19 like horeb in first kings 19 like the temple in isaiah chapter 6 the presence of god begins to tear at the very fabric of our world and there is thunder and there is fire and there is lightning and yet in the midst of all of this chaos there in front of the throne is a sea the epitome of chaos and disorder in the ancient world and yet the sea is clear as crystal like glass still and I think the message is in the presence of God even the greatest chaos on earth is stilled And then we hear the four living creatures. They are calling to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This is what one cherub called to the other way back in Isaiah chapter 6. It seems after all of these centuries, the heavenly chorus has not tired of the song. God is holy and he was and he is and he is to come. And when the elders hear this chorus, they fall down on their faces before the throne and they throw their crowns before him. And they cry at the end of Revelation chapter 4, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and they were created. It makes for a rather frantic scene. Creatures flying and elders falling and crowns crashing and everyone crying, Holy, worthy, holy, worthy. And I know you may be in despair this morning, but will you just listen in to the music of God's glory? God is holy. He is all almighty and he is always Lord. He has been forever. He still is now and he will be forever to come. He is the only creator. He is the only one who is worthy to receive glory and honor and power. 
You may feel buried under the weight of your despair. You may feel you cannot see any hope at all. But God is still on His throne. And before we can even catch our breath, John says in Revelation chapter 5, I looked and there in the right hand of Him who sat on the throne was a book, a scroll. Now, I don't know what was in this book. It could be the judgments. It could be God's covenant with mankind. It could be something else altogether. John doesn't seem overly concerned at this point to tell us what exactly is inside. But I do think whatever is in that book is the content of Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, the things which must take place after this. In other words, I think John knows this book contains the future of both him and all of humanity, and he longs for this book to be opened. And an angel appears in heaven saying, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seven seals? And then something surprising happens. No one is found worthy in heaven or on earth or under the earth to open the scroll and to break its seals. And John says, when I heard this, I wept. Perhaps it's the weight of his own sinfulness that makes him unworthy that leads him to weep. Or perhaps it's just realizing the complete and total hopelessness that lies before him. Regardless, he stands in the presence of God and weeps. It reminds me of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, who in the presence of God cries out, Woe to me, I am ruined. Perhaps the problem is not that we are in despair. Perhaps... The problem is our despair is not nearly deep enough or that we don't allow the presence of God to lead us there. And yet one of the elders turns to John and says, Stop! Do not weep! Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered and he is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals. And just like that, all heaven and earth are on edge, leaning in to see a glimpse of this magnificent lion. Surely he, with his powerful roar, with his mighty strength, with his magnificent teeth, with his sharp claws, surely he is worthy. And John looks and he sees a lamb. Now notice he doesn't say, I looked for a lion, but I saw a lamb. It's that the lion is the lamb. And his presence changes it all. He has been slain and he comes and he takes the scroll from the right hand of him who sits on the throne. And as soon as he takes it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fall down before him. And they've got their harps out. They're ready to sing. And they sing a new song crying out, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain by your blood. You ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, brothers and sisters, that's you and me. And the whole purpose of this was so that they might be a kingdom and priests to our God. This is not just temple talk. This is Exodus 19 talk. Where God, having just led the people out of Egypt, speaks tenderly to them. 
commit yourself to me, God woos. And you will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That offer given to Israel has now been extended to the ends of the earth. And it has come to fruition and they will reign. I know you may be in despair this morning, but can you hear the words of this song? For those of us who were lost and alone and desperate, who were alienated from God because of the weight of our sin, surely this text shines like the brightest light piercing into the darkest of nights. Jesus has lifted our burdens. He has given us a new attitude, a new perspective, a new destiny, a new eternity. This is the truth. Fix it before your eyes. Fasten it upon your hearts. Cling to it with everything that you have. The Lamb has been slain and He is worthy. And John lifts up his eyes and sees just beyond the 24 elders, thousands upon thousands of angels. And they begin to cry together, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive sevenfold complete praise, power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And it seems their words trigger an avalanche of praise. Next thing you know, all of heaven and all of earth and everything under the earth and even everything in the sea and all that is within them joins in the chorus to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Are you listening to these words? The enemy will try to whisper lies into your heart to convince you that your worth lies in someone or something other than Jesus. He will try to destroy your faith and steal all of your joy. But the anthem of heaven resounds with the truth. The Lamb has overcome. And because He has overcome, we overcome. I don't know if you've noticed, but John hasn't said a word since verse 4. He says that he hears the song, but it doesn't say that he joins in it himself. And I, I wonder, perhaps, after the despair that he has experienced, perhaps John just needs to let these words wash over him. You may not feel like singing today. That's fine. But when you don't feel like singing, listen hard to the anthem of heaven. Let this text resound in your ears. Let these truths resonate in your heart. Let others sing them over you. Let their prayers become your prayers. Let their faith become your faith. Do not, do not go it alone. Do not stay where you are. 
Let these truths blaze new patterns of thought. May these hymns of victory and not the songs of hopelessness be what leads to the renewal of your mind. It will not be easy. In fact, it may be the hardest thing you've ever done. It may take every ounce of effort you feel you have left. But when you don't feel like singing, listen hard to the anthem of heaven. In the presence of God, we have to realize that our depression may not instantly dissipate. And our despair may not suddenly disappear. But you can be sure of this. The music of the Lamb will transform your perspective. Jesus wants to play His song for you. And He wants you to hear His music in the dark night of your soul. So when you don't feel like singing, listen hard to the anthem of heaven. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bulls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Thank you.